The Poetic Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Poetic Podcast with me, Jay Rosanna. In this episode, we'll be exploring soundscapes in poetry and I'll be performing my new poem, McGonagall's Eyes. Hello. So this month I was fortunate to perform at Worcestershire Literature Festival. It's here in the UK. And it was a really fabulous week-long collection of events and performances across Worcestershire. On the last day of the festival, I was in Bavira Gardens and Bavira Gallery, where I met a local artist, Susan Berth, who had produced an artwork and presented it at the festival. Oh my, and it just spoke to me. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. The construction, the imagination, the emotion of the artwork, it just got my creative imagination flowing. I had a poem in mind about it and it just took flight in my head. I was both captivated and helpless. By the time I got home that afternoon, I had pretty much the whole poem in my mind and the whole entire piece was written in one manic session before the doorbell might ring and the word lost forever. Don't look for too many poetic devices or assonance or poetic form or even iambic pentameters here. This is a poetic story that just grabbed me by the throat and demanded to be put on paper. I contacted the artist and I sent my poem. She liked it and I recorded the piece the following day. The Muse, the piece upon which the poem is based, is by artist Susan Berth. It's called Community and depicts five houses sitting rather precariously on the edge of what could be interpreted as a cliff face. That's how I saw it, and I suppose in that way it represents the risk to the loss of local communities. But the moment I saw it, I imagined a little old lady living in the house in the row behind and the people she must have known and what stories she must have heard, seen and lived throughout the years. So before we go any further, here it is. Let me present to you my poem, McGonagall's Eyes. McGonagall's Eyes by J. Rosanna. It is all quiet now down McGonagall's way. Old Mrs. McGonagall now goes quietly about her day in her little blue house, to up, to down. Her failing eyes now remember the old town. She has only ever known this place she calls home. She did once hold a dream of a world she would roam. Home is the thin row sitting besides, the heart, the white chapel behind the row of five, where the old town did thrive. As she boils her tea, because she likes it black, her memories drift as she can only look back to the little white lies to the talk behind backs. If we listen with care now, we may hear ghosts talk back. 
There goes Ethel in number five. To be honest, I forgot she was still alive. I remember when she used to steal my men. So, I suppose this is her comeuppance then. And out of the window, there goes number four. McGonagall remembers banging their door, calling for help when Ma was locked in the shed. Six hours she was in there going out of her head. Number three is still standing, for now at least. But long ago they washed their hands of the street. The reason why no one ever speaks of what happened between the Smiths and Peaks. McGonagall, like clockwork, serves dinner and tea, as if there is a community and if there always will be, and pay no heed, never mind what's happening outside. You must eat all your vegetables, your carrot and pea. Would you like a little extra gravy to go on the side? Thursday night is meat and veg. Long ago she made this for Reg, but he sleeps now within the church, beside the bench beneath the birch. Number two is sliding too. Mildred said she always knew the golden days had been and gone since that day she lost her only son. Number one gets all the sun. When morning comes it too will be gone. Albert passed there in his comfy chair. After losing the cup final, his last words were, He was offside, it isn't fair. And besides, Albert never liked that player's hair. So, time will tick, and time will tell, as McGonagall's village sinks to the fell. Out the window, McGonagall sighs. It is all gone now, and lives only on through old Mrs. McGonagall's eyes. One of the most beautiful things I love about poetry is soundscapes. And hopefully that came through in that piece. You know, soundscapes of poetry which generates in our own mind its own backing track as we read, like a movie in word form, an experience beyond the page. I really love soundscapes in poetry, you know, that tightly woven blanket of auditory sound, where each element has a unique consonance or assonance to it, and yet the whole thing comes together spatially, like an orchestra. And it demonstrates that three important aspects of a soundscape. The environment where, where little creatures, trees, buildings, all have their own unique sound. And the audience can pick out particular sounds and relate them in their mind as they're reading through the poem. And then those particular sound events like a plop in the water or the tingle of a bell. All of those things that sort of come together as one. Oh, I really love that. It's like a distinct genre in poetry. And I think the same happens in music too. You only have to listen to The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings to get that soundscape that sort of washes right across you and drags you in. One of my all-time poetic inspirations is Dylan Thomas, and to whom I wrote a love letter. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's called 
do not be afraid to enter the dark. But Thomas was expert at weaving soundscapes, particularly through his masterpiece of Under Milk Wood. If you haven't heard it, here's a little extract. To begin at the beginning. It is spring, moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black. The cobble streets silent and the hunched quarters and rabbits wood limping, invisible down to the slow black, slow black crow black fishing boat bobbing sea. There is so much in that Dylan Thomas opening to a door. The Bible black, the slow black, the crow black and the fish boat bobbing. You know, I can imagine the little fishing boat bobbing up and down in the darkness of the town. I can even hear little sounds that aren't even in the words, like a ringing of a bell. I even learned a word, neologism, which Dylan Thomas did quite a bit of, and that is to coin new words, often through his natural flair to create a soundscape. Now, if you pair that with a reading from Dylan Thomas himself, or the resounding tones of Richard Burton, or more recently Michael Sheen, and we need nothing else, just the words, and we can become lost in the world they conjure and paint using only a soundscape of words. Edgar Allan Poe was another often using consonants and assonance, the repetition of consonants and vowels, to create a living soundscape. For example, in his poem Bells, we have the lines, Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Just reuse of that single vowel E conjures such imagery, it's wonderful, like the ding, ding, ding of wedding bells. It's celebratory, it's feel-good, and that's reinforced through the ha sound of harmony and happiness. It just makes you feel great. T.S. Eliot was another. In Preludes, Eliot starts, The winter evening settles down, With smell of steaks in passageways, Six o'clock, the burnt-out ends of smoky days, and now a gusty shower wraps the grimy scraps of withered leaves about your feet. This opening to preludes creates a soundscape of smoke and shadows and dark, dingy places, perhaps feeling a little isolated, a reflection maybe on modern town life or city living. We could imagine dark, dusty places, chimney pots filled with smoke, that sense of loneliness standing in withered leaves in a decaying part of town. In Mrs. McGonagall's eyes, I imagined the ghosts of the families in the five houses in front being long-lost friends of Mrs. McGonagall, who lives in the little blue house behind, in a two-up, two-down, next to the chapel, where her long-gone love Reg sleeps beside the bench beneath the birch. And there she is, still stuck in her ways, imagining a thriving community and her reg. And she still makes dinner on a Thursday for ghosts. And I also imagined a close-knit community full of little white lies and talks behind backs and pots and pans 
and relying on each other when trouble hits like the time Ma was locked in the shed for six hours. And then there was Albert, who loved football and always complained about his favourite team losing the cup final. I'm sure we all know someone like that. And as he always complains, that player was offside. So why the name McGonagall? I don't really know. That was one of the first things I imagined. It just came to me when I saw the artwork. I just imagined old Mrs McGonagall. The name just popped in my head and held the piece together. Maybe I like the sound. Maybe I like the consonants of the hard sounds to that name. But no other name came. And when I wrote the first line, I just kept going. It's all quiet now, down McGonagall's way. That was the first line, and the first thing I imagined. I was, like, thoroughly intrigued and fascinated by the artwork. I couldn't get the poem onto paper quick enough. I hope it resonates with you. Following on from Worcestershire Literature Festival, I've been getting out and about sharing my poetry, and I made it down to Birmingham, to the Verve Open Door, which invites people along on a Tuesday evening to perform their poetry in five-minute slots. And I really enjoyed just sitting back, listening to the poetry of others in a friendly, warm environment. It was in a bakery and coffee shop from what I can make out, and me and the person I was with foolishly thought they'd still be serving cake and coffee. I love cake. So we didn't have anything to eat or drink on the way down there. I mean, at least there was some free help-yourself-make-yourself coffee and tea there. Oh, I tell you, I was so looking forward to a nice slice of cake. You know, a nice slice of passion cake or lemon drizzle, something like that, to go with a nice mug of coffee. It's all I could think about for a while. It was good, really, because he took my mind off the thought that I was going to be performing, and I hadn't performed in front of people for a while. It was great. I met so many lovely people. It was just awesome. The real rub to the event was that the car I was in broke down and we had to call a recovery service, and they arrived about 15 minutes before the end of the session. So I did get to perform my set, but instead of going to the usual after-performance meet and greet, I got instead to stand down the road outside whilst my mechanic was explaining what a dead battery means. We've got a new car battery now, so you never know, you may see me out and about near you, and if you do, then give me a wave and say hello. Mention you heard it here on the Poetic Podcast. And with that, thank you so much for joining me on this poetic podcast. You can also find my poetry videos on YouTube and TikTok if you search for me, Jay Rosanna. And I do hope you will join me here again. My name is Jay Rosanna, and this has been The Poetic Podcast.